Welcome back to The Reading Cafe, the podcast from Holy Cross High School that aims to get people talking about reading. For this episode of the podcast, we are joined by the massively successful sports writer Matt Oldfield. In this excellent interview, you'll hear all about how Matt approaches writing his popular Ultimate Football Heroes series. Matt also gave a reading of a short story for our listeners and answered questions from some of our own S4 football superstars. Keep listening to discover who most surprised him when researching the backstories of the world's most famous footballers. And he discusses plans for more representation of women and Scottish players in the series. As if all that wasn't enough, you'll also hear from some of our Holy Cross PE teachers who will be talking about their own Ultimate Football Heroes. So that's the pre-match build-up over and it's now time for our interview with Matt Oldfield. The legendary Scottish player and Liverpool manager Bill Shankly famously said, some people think football is a matter of life and death. I assure you, it's much more serious than that. (laughs) He's the author of Unbelievable Football, which was the winner of the 2020 Children's Sports Book of the Year Award, and he also writes the Johnny Ball Football Genius Series. You know, they say football is a game of two halves. Well, Matt is one half of the duo of brothers who write the ultimate football heroes and classic football heroes book series. These incredibly popular biographies tell the playground to pitch stories of the world's greatest footballers, from Maradona through to Messi, from Beckham through to Kane. And when he isn't writing, Matt works with schools, charities and organisations like the National Literacy Trust and the National Football Museum to deliver literacy workshops aimed at football fans and reluctant readers. He travels up and down the country to work with young people on key aspects of writing like dialogue, character, emotion and setting, including elements of football and life. I reckon it's time to kick off and welcome ultimate football hero Matt Oldfield onto the Reading Cafe podcast. Why, thank you. What an, what an introduction. Um, I enjoyed that a lot, especially the quotes, some lovely quotes there. Yeah. Thanks for having me. Yeah, of course. So what have you been up to today so far? Oh, today I have... a. It's, it's re- I don't know about where you guys are, but it's really wet and horrible here today. So um, I, I live in Bristol, sorry, I should say that. Um, so I took my dog, I've got a sausage dog. I took him for a very, very short walk. Um, didn't like it, had to turn around and come home. Uh, I've been doing some writing, some editing. Um, I have a two month old baby as well. So I've been doing bits and pieces. Yeah, just, you know, the usual. Good day. So Matt, would it be okay if you we hear you read some of your writings for our listeners? Of course, yeah. Um, so what I thought, I, I was looking for something that was quite short um, and hopefully like vaguely fun. Um, so what I thought I would do is read a little bit from um, this book, um, Unbelievable Football, um, uh, which is a collection of short stories all about sort of weird and wonderful football stories. Um, and there's one that's about an octopus. So I thought that seemed... Uh, It's also quite short, so I thought, yeah, those two things made me think that this might be the right one. This story is called uh, Paul the Octopus. What a clever animal. People say that all the time. You hear it whenever their dogs, cats, lizards learn to sit, roll, bake cakes. Okay, maybe not that last one. But if you want to hear about a properly clever creature, let me introduce you to Paul the Octopus. Paul was born in a sea life centre in the pretty British seaside town of Weymouth in 2008. But as a hatchling, that's what they call a baby octopus, by the way, he moved abroad to another sea life centre in Germany. It was there that people started to notice Paul's special talents. The first sign that he was a really clever octopus was his ability to open jars and boxes as easily as a human being. That was a cool trick, but what else could Paul do, they wondered predict football results, perhaps? 
The Sea Life Centre workers came up with a game to test him during Euro 2008. Before each match the Germany national team played at the tournament, they placed two clear plastic boxes in front of Paul. Each box had food inside, either a mussel or an oyster, and a national flag on the front. Apparently, whichever box Paul opened first was the team that he thought would win the match. Got it? Hopefully, yeah. Paul's record at Euro 2008 was pretty good. Four correct predictions out of six. Not bad for an animal that had never played or watched football in his life. Sadly, however, he messed up on the most important result of all. After getting Germany's hopes up by gobbling the food from their box, they ended up losing 1-0 to Spain in the final. Schlechterkracker. That's bad octopus in German, apparently, but don't, don't quote me on that. Despite getting that one wrong, Paul got to keep his job for the 2010 World Cup in South Africa. By then, he was the most famous psychic octopus ever, probably. Thousands of football fans came to visit him in his tank and his predictions for the tournament were even shown live on German TV. And this time, with the pressure on, Paul put on his best performance. He got every single result right, eight out of eight, one for each of his psychic tentacles. They included Germany's surprise defeat to Serbia in the group stage, their exit in the semi-finals, and best of all, Spain's victory over the Netherlands in the World Cup final. If you watch the online video for that prediction, Paul goes straight to the Spain box without a single doubt in his mind. Now that really is a seriously clever animal. By then, the Spanish people loved Paul like one of their own. When the football team returned home to a hero's welcome in Madrid, there were octopus banners everywhere, and their captain, Andres Iniesta, even held up a small, soft toy version of Paul. With each correct prediction, Paul became more and more famous around the world. Forget Lionel Messi or Cristiano Ronaldo, the real star of the 2010 World Cup was in a tank, not out on the football pitch. An aquarium in Spain invited him to visit, while an angry chef from Argentina threatened to cook him after his country lost to Germany in the quarterfinals. Fortunately, the keepers at the Sea Life Centre protected their celebrity carefully. Paul stopped predicting football results after the tournament in 2010, and at his retirement party, they presented him with a mini World Cup trophy of his own, filled with tasty mussels, of course. Now, sadly, an octopus doesn't live very long, even one as clever as Paul, and he died in October 2010 at the young age of two and a half. It was a sad end for such a successful psychic, but at least he'd had a remarkable life, and the genius of Paul lives on. He has a giant monument at the Sea Life Centre in Germany, as well as an iPhone app called Ask the Octopus and even his own song. No, I won't be singing it. <laughs> like all great heroes, Paul also has helped to inspire others. So far, we've had a sea turtle predict results from Brazil, a hedgehog from Thailand, an otter from Japan, a camel from Dubai, and even another octopus, this time from Ukraine. But none of them has come close to the legend that is Paul the Octopus. Oh, thank you so much. That was lovely. Oh, good. We pulled out to us. That's so cute. <laughs> Combining two of my favourite things, football and animals. Mm. What's your favourite animal? Uh, the raccoon. Oh, why's that? Just like them. Oh. Cute. Yeah. <laughs> They're good animals. So in addition to your non-fiction Ultimate Football Hero books, what, what you also write fiction for your Johnny Ball series. How is your process different when you're approaching writing fiction? Very good question. Um, it really different. Um, and when I first started writing the Johnny Ball series, um, I, I found it really 
at first it was really exciting because you you know I guess the main difference is that with nonfiction you have facts right you've got information that you can work within you've got limits if you like um, whereas with fiction the great thing but also the slightly scary thing I think sometimes is that there are no limits right it's it's freedom it's whatever your mind can come up with um, and so I think that's the thing that I found hardest to get my head around at first because with the with the ultimate football hero series um you know I, I've got facts I've got a life story to work with and so um a lot of it is about collecting up all this information and then structuring it in a nice easy order of events and the you know, that focuses in on these big moments um and so organization is really important and that's how I kind of am used to working but with obviously with Johnny Ball and with fiction things are a bit <laughs> a bit looser if you like um so yeah just I still was able to kind of plan out what I wanted to do and break it down into chapters as as I would with non-fiction but there was a lot more sitting down and sort of exploring different options in my in my head I think before coming up with the one that I was going to go with and uh, yeah it, it it took me a, basically it took me a lot longer um, to do so that uh, yeah that especially that first Johnny Borg book um, took me a long time to get right. Mm. Would you say you had to tap into your creativity as a writer to do that? Absolutely yeah I mean I, I like to think so with the with the with the ultimate football hero series yes then they're, they're non-fiction they're about real real footballers but there is a, this kind of creative element to it um, in terms of tr taking these these individual moments and sort of creating a story around it and trying to bring out a bit of the character of whichever footballer we're talking about but yes obviously when it comes to writing you know made up stories in fiction you're, you're using even more creativity um, and that's something that I I'd always wanted as a kid I grew up reading a lot of, a lot of non-fiction as well but probably more in the way of fiction and so I always dream the dream was always you know I'd love to at some point write some fiction um to tap into that imagination that creativity that um hopefully I've got <laughs> um speaking of while you were younger um were you were you a big reader then and if so what was your favorite genre quite inside of fiction um yeah so I I, I used to read a lot as a kid um and still do now obviously but um yeah, I used to read bits of everything, but definitely more in the way of fiction and probably a lot of sort of animal adventure stories, especially at a young, you know, thinking sort of pre-10 years old, that, you know, that kind of first bit of reading. Um, yeah, lots of things like Wind in the Willows, um, the Roald Dahl books, and yeah, sort of Fantastic Mr. Fox, that kind of thing. Um, a series of the Red Wall series, I don't know if you... I think it's been made into a Netflix series recently, so maybe maybe the kids of today do know what the Red Wall series is. I don't know, but um, anyway, it's another kind of animal adventure stories. Um, yeah, so I read a lot of that, but um, obviously I then ended up writing about football instead. But one of the things that I always think made me want to do that was partly because there weren't actually that many fun, exciting football books available for children when we when I was growing up. It was very much um, you know, adult football biographies or really young picture books that were a bit weird. Um, so finding something that was more about sort of telling the life stories of current footballers for that kid's audience, that was something that 
you know, it was basically me writing the kind of thing that I would like to read myself. Like footballers, authors need to be disciplined and spend a lot of time developing their technique. So what is your passion of training routine for writing? Um, I like to, I mean, one of the things is just to, to keep going. <laughs> I mean, I know that sounds really sort of basic, but it's, it's um, just doing it day after day after day um, is something that you have to get used to. And I think for me, the more I can plan ahead, um, the more I sort of arrive at my desk with a clear idea of what I'm trying to do, the better I <laughs> the better I can do it. You know, what I don't want to do is sit down at my desk at the start of the day with no idea about what I'm going to do next, because um, that's that's not going to be a productive day. So I try and I try and make sure that I um, that I, I break things down into sort of manage, manageable chunks. So it's about setting yourself kind of daily targets. So maybe you know I want to write this many words or I want to work on this many chapters um, or you know I want to do this but just just having targets in mind always helps me um, to, to because and I, I try and treat it as much as I can I try and treat it like a, any other job so kind of nine to five you know sticking to normal hours and just yeah I think it's yeah the, finding the routines that work best for you I think that's so important I mean at the moment I'm very much on a if you want if you want to know my real routine so um I normally in the mornings I normally go out to a local coffee shop do kind of an hour to two hours in there sort of working on more sort of admin stuff that kind of thing um and then late morning working at home and then I spend the afternoon working at home it just seems to work for me I don't know why. Have you ever wanted to be a footballer yourself? Um, <laughs> as a kid, yeah, probably. Um, but never, never particularly seriously. Just I, I love playing football, but I've never been particularly good. Um, so uh, yeah, I sort of gave up on that dream at quite an early age, I think, and de- decided, you know what, like maybe writing about it instead would be the would be the answer. So would you say your younger self is happy that you became a writer in your career? Yeah, I think so. I think, yeah, I, I can't really remember ever thinking, oh, I want to be a footballer. Whereas I can I can definitely remember, especially as sort of a young, as a younger kid, uh, sorry, an older kid, I can definitely remember thinking to myself, I would love to write books. Hmm. So yeah, I'm, I, I think, uh, yeah, living my dream for sure. For many people across the globe, football is the main language which they can communicate through. Um, why do you think football is such an influential part of people's lives? It's yeah. I don't. <laughs> I don't really know the answer to that question entirely. Um, I keep trying to answer that question. Um, I think there's something about the simplicity of the game. I think is a crucial part. The fact that you know you don't really need very much to a play the game but also b understand the game it's you know it's compared to other sports i think it's maybe it's yeah just a ball a ball and some people right that's all you really need um and so it, it is one of those games that can be played anywhere on any surface in any space whereas i think probably there are other sports that don't translate quite so well so i think there's there's something about that for sure um and there's just something about the, uh, the the sort of 
the excitement level of the drama that happens within within the sport and i guess the more people play it the better the players become and the the better the football the more people want to watch it something like that anyway yeah but i can't explain it i can't explain why football is what it is really as it is so universally popular what advice would you give to someone who loves football but finds reading boring and um, my advice is always to just use whatever your main passion is, you know, use that, uh, treat it as kind of a way into to the world of uh, w- reading, but also writing. I mean, I think for me that that thing was always football. You know, if I could be reading or writing about football, that was going to make those things a lot more fun and enjoyable and interesting. Um, but, you know, yes, football is a massively popular Thing throughout the world but it's not the only thing uh, so it's about finding whatever it is that you have that passion you have that understanding that knowledge the thing that's going to excite you you want to use that when it comes to things that maybe you're not so excited about <laughs> uh, to just make those things slightly easier and it's a way in I always think you know I'm as much as I'd love people to just read my books forever and ever like I'm I also hope that it's a way of kind of getting people into reading in the first place and then they go on to explore other things, whether that's other football books or, you know, actually other passions of theirs and finding fiction. And, you know, that's just it's a way in, basically, and you you need that hook that's going to that's going to get you in. Do you think books do that, like elevate interest in certain subjects? I think they can. Yeah, I mean, it depends. Kind of depends on the on the, on the kid um, or, or the person, right? But um, I think it, yeah, it's um, they have you know, you know. I guess it's it's we got two things here, right? We got reading and we've got books. I guess you know, finding the right subject is it can definitely get kids into reading in the first place. But then whether whether reading can then unlock other things, I think it can. Yeah, yeah, yeah. If you find the right book, that's. Um, it's, that's inspiring, that's opening your mind, that's making you think in different ways. I think you know, the power of reading is great. It's half time at the Reading Cafe, so now we're going to hand over to our PE teachers for a team talk on their ultimate football heroes. As our resident experts on the subject, our PE pundits are sure to have lots to say about who they think is the real goat of the game. Hi everyone, I'm Mrs Bradley and I'm here today to talk to you about my footballing hero and why I've selected them so I've gone quite left field with my choice and I have picked Luka Modric so he plays for Real Madrid and Croatia, he's the Croatia captain, he's also the most capped player of the country. Um, the reason I picked him was just think he's really inspirational, he's 38, he's still playing at the top of his game, a lot of players are tending to retire at that age or have retired but he is still week in week out playing the full 90 minutes, he's consistently playing, he's always turns up and does the job so he's consistent, he's reliable, he's hard working, the work rate that he puts in in every game is unbelievable. And I think he's probably one of the best players I've ever watched in real life. And I just think he's an absolute inspiration to everybody. And the reason that I think reading is so important is 
Every night I read to my little boy, whether that's just for a couple of minutes or whatever, he picks his favourite book and for that time that we're reading the book it just fuels his imagination in particular and mine we can be transported to a different world and we tend to talk about the characters and what are they doing and he then just runs away with us and he makes up stories and I just think if we weren't doing that reading that would be that time of night that we wouldn't get together and I've grown up reading books and I love reading and I don't get much time to do it just now but when I do it just for that time that you're reading the book it's just a stress relief you don't think about anything else apart from what's going on in that book and that's something that I really want to instill as he grows up. Hi there I'm Mr McKegney and I'm here to talk to you about my ultimate football hero and why, uh, the importance of reading and to also let you know my favourite book. So my favourite football hero is Peter Schmeichel. The reason for that is one, I'm a goalkeeper myself. He was very unique due to his size and frame, but he also showed this abundance of speed, flexibility and agility. He was also prepared to try unique things, such as bringing handball techniques into football. So that was very interesting to see, just new, new styles into goalkeeping. As I get more experienced though, I could see there were flaws in his techniques from a very technical goalkeeper's point of view but his style suited him and you can't argue with what he won in the game and he wasn't a bystander in any of his teams either he made crucial saves at crucial times at all the clubs he was at and on that as well I think it's important to say I'm also very impressed with his son Casper Schmeichel because he's performed in a very similar way um, and the way he conducts himself off the field as well I think he's very valued and very measured in the point that he makes when he's talking especially with regards to the current game importance of reading is something as I get older I see more the importance of uh, I've got a recollection of a, a parents night in which my English teacher asked my parents uh, does David read out of school and the reply was yeah the sports pages of the national paper I do have a memory of some books, such as Danny Champion of the World by Roald Dahl, Secret Mountain by Enid Blyton, and The Desperate Journey, I think that was Kathleen Fiddler when I was younger, but I did find reading hard. As I grew up, I kind of grew up in an age of video and just wanted to play football all the time as well. I would then kind of start a book and very easily get bored. However, then I discovered football autobiographies. I was probably in my fifth year at high school. My first one was the Andy Gorham autobiography, so again, another goalkeeper. And I couldn't put it down, so much so that even my school pals noticed. They knew I wasn't an avid reader and couldn't believe how fast I read it. So from that, I've now read a lot of football biographies. Uh, I still try other books, but again, I can see myself still struggling. I think the reason for that is that I feel in the football environment, I can picture in my head what's going on. But the importance for me is that I'm working on my literacy every time I pick up the book. I'm expanding my knowledge, not just my favourite sport, but also my literacy skills. And I think that helps me in job. It's important that I pass that on to the pupils when, even though I'm teaching PE, they have to also understand that there's a their written part to the, the, the course. And so I need to also improve my literacy skills to help them as well and make sure that they are doing the correct things at the correct times. Another important thing for me uh, with regards to reading is obviously the, the calm time. It's a bit of calm downtime, especially during a hectic lifestyle of family work, playing football and coaching football. I just think it's important that when you go to read, I like having that quiet time, put myself away from everybody else and then just reading it, whether it's in my bed, out the back garden, or just finding a quiet space. So I think that's why I find it important, just kind of gives that little calming time. My favourite book was A Hard Choice. I've enjoyed all my football heroes. They've been good, especially the goalkeeper ones. There's two books that kind of spring into my mind. So there's a basically a funny story I was given as a birthday present. I was given two books. 
So I was given the Pele biography and I was given Les Ferdinand's autobiography. So I'm sitting looking forward to the, the Pele biography because it's the greatest football in the world. And I hate saying this, but the book was pretty boring. And then what kind of happened was I started getting into Les Ferdinand's. It was the first time I read the book and I felt you weren't getting the cliché stories. He was prepared to go a bit more in-depth and give details that supporters were looking for. So that was interesting. And that was the time when I kind of thought, right, because I was sitting thinking I don't really, kind of didn't follow Newcastle or Spurs or anything. So it was just interesting to be taken aback by that, and that's that's always stuck in my memory. And to be fair, I remember Tony Cascarino's was very much like that. But my favourite book has to have a kind of Scottish connection, and it's called The Confessions of a Football Chaplain by Mark Fleming. So Mark Fleming is a football chaplain. He's he's now in charge of an organisation that helps with football clubs as well. I've been in courses that Mark's done as well, and it was just really interesting to read his book. It's a great mix of stories, showing a funny side, but also sad and hard times for different people involved in the game. And that's what I liked about the book, the balance of the book and the depth of information in regards to what a chaplain does was spot on and I would highly recommend this book to various audiences and that's what I liked about it because it was to go out to everybody and the, the stories were all very different, it wasn't just about one person, they were all about different players at different ends of the spectrum which was fantastic to read about. Now it's time to leave the dugout and get back in the game with the second half of our interview with Matt Oldfield. Now, I think we've got two young pupils coming in to ask some more questions. Hi. Yep, okay, so joining us we have Ryan and Oliver. Hello, hello. Hi. Right. Yep, Ryan, do you want to start with your question? How much time does it take to write a book from research to publication? Oof. Um, well, so, um, when I first started writing the the Ultimate Football Hero series, though, so the, these ones, um, that process you know I was new to everything so that first book probably took me about at least six months to do the full research and then write it and rewrite it and kind of get it get it to where I wanted it to be um, so probably about six months and then but sort of 40 50 books down the line I sort of know what I'm doing a bit more so certainly like the research I know where to go for the I know what the process is and with writing I know what I'm doing a bit more as well so now it's probably more like two to three months depending on how long I've got um but yeah if, if time is tight closer to two for sure um yeah so so it's, it takes a lot less time but then it, when when I then write something new that isn't one of those books so for example when I started writing the fiction or writing a different something else that you know then I was back to sort of six months at a time if not more for some of these books um but it totally depends I mean it, it depends on how long the book is what the book is you know how much research is involved all these things so um it's going to it's going to be different for everyone but for me I'd probably yeah something somewhere between two and six months mm -hmm. yeah Oliver yeah hi yeah, my name's Oliver and my question is out of all the players you've written about who would best describe you as a player? <laughs> oh, who's the slowest footballer I've written about? Um, no, uh, no, I'm, I'm a, I've always been a defender, so I, I'd pick maybe Virgil Van Dyke, but like a much, much, much slower version of Virgil Van Dyke. But I like to kind of read the game. I like to be a bit of a sort of leader on the pitch, like to pass the ball, fairly calm. Yeah, yeah, let's go with him. 
Yes, good shout, good player. Well, thank you very much to Ryan and Oliver. I think we're going to get our next two in, which is Charlie and Johnny. Thank you. Cheers. Thank you very much. Thanks, guys. Hello. Hiya. Hi. Hello. Hiya. Hello. Charlie, do you want to start off? Uh, okay. Um, hi, my name is Charlie. And do you have a favourite football moment as a spectator? And is there a moment that you would have loved to be there in person to witness? Um, favourite spectator moment, probably watching the Lionesses win the Euros at Wembley would be the, that was pretty awesome. Um, yeah, I was very lucky to be there for that. Um, and then what was the other bit, um, which do I wish I was there for? Um, oh, uh, the, um, the World Cup final, the men's World Cup final. France, Argentina, that was pretty good, wasn't it? I imagine um, I imagine being there in person would be pretty fun. Yeah. Seeing a kind of historic match like that would be good. Yeah. Thank you. Yep, Johnny. Uh, hi, my name is Johnny. And who are the top three players that you have written about? Uh, oh, as in like my favourite or yeah. the, the best of them? Like the best. The best. Okay. Well, Messi would, in my eyes, would be number one for sure. Um, ooh, uh, I'm going to put Maradona two, I think. And then just to, so that people don't shout at me, I'll put Ronaldo at three. Oh, actually, well, which Ronaldo am I talking about? Um, ooh, I think I might go for Brazilian Ronaldo. No, no, that's not fair. No, for, for, for like full on career. And for what he's achieved, I'll go Cristiano. But I do prefer I do prefer the Brazilian one. Right, thank you. Perfect. Thank you. Very much. Right, thanks. So next we're gonna have Zoe and Louisa come in. Louisa, do you wanna start us off? Hi, my name's Louisa and my question is which footballer's life has surprised you the most and why? Oh, um, good question. Uh, what surprised me the most? Um Sorry, that's that stumped me a little bit. Um, I'm gonna go for, I think, Sergio Aguero maybe. Um, the just because I think it was just a life story that I because I think sometimes with some of these players, if they have these incredible life stories, people tend to know about them already, um, and so they don't sort of surprise me so much. Whereas with him, I don't think I really knew when I uh, there was one of the. It's certainly one of the first 10 or so books that I wrote. So uh, back then, I didn't really know that much about his backstory and you know what he'd been through, what his family background was like. Um, so discovering the sort of the poverty and the situation was just quite, yeah, was that one was a that one was a surprising one for sure. Um, and yeah, I'm trying. There are like, I, I do prefer if it's much more exciting for me to be writing about the more interesting life stories. So I'm thinking of people like Mo Salah or Sadio Mane. They are these amazing life stories, but I think they didn't surprise me as much just because I already knew a bit about them and I was only sort of learning more rather than started from scratch. Zoe? Um, hi, my name's Zoe. Um, I was wondering with the rise in popularity of women's football, which can be seen in the recent Women's World Cup, do you plan on writing more books about female footballers? Absolutely, yeah, yeah, yeah. I um, 
yeah uh there's so within the ultimate football hero series there's there's a sort of growing branch of um of, of women's football books so sadly i don't get to write them long story which i won't go into <laughs> but um so there, there are there are um so beth mead and leah williamson would came out certainly a few months ago i think and i'm i think there are plans for for even more of them um so yeah definitely within that series um I've just written and um, helped out writing Beth Mead's book that came out earlier this year, which was so much fun to do. Um, and she's she's amazing. So, um, yeah, just I, more and more, hopefully. <laughs> did you enjoy the Women's World Cup? I did. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Um, my my second child had just been born, so it wasn't the I didn't have the easiest of um you know, I wasn't able to watch every single minute of every match like I'd like to, but um, yeah, no, it was brilliant. Just, um, yeah, nearly, nearly the right, nearly the kind of perfect result for us English people anyway. Mm. <laughs> perfect, thank you. Thank, thank you. you. And next we're going to get in Martin and David to ask some more questions. Martin, do you want to start with your question first? Uh, so my question was, if you were to pick a Scottish footballer to write a book, who would you choose and why? Good question. Um, well, so we, we did, so we have finally written our first Scottish player within the series. It took a bit too much time, sorry, um, to you guys. But um, Andy Robertson was, I think it was the, I think it was a really good pick in, in A, because it avoided, well, kind of avoided the Rangers Celtic issue. Um, you know, he's captain of Scotland, so kind of inspiring figure, but also he's got this amazing story of sort of playing non-league football, sort of, you know, being rejected by Celtic, having that start, but then managing to rise all the way up to, you know, winning the Champions League with Liverpool. Like it's a, it's an incredible story. So I think that one um, was a good, was a good one um, to do in the end. Um, other than that, um, I think Ali, I, I do, I do think Ali McCoist. Like thinking about legends, I do think Ali McCoist would be quite a fun one to write. Um, and but then obviously to sort of balance it out, we then I know he's not Scottish, but Henrik Larsson would be um, would be quite good to do as well. Um, but yeah, we need we need more more Scottish football within the series for sure. David, is there any football you would love to write about but can't because they aren't seen as famous enough? Oh, that's a great question. Um, loads is the answer. <laughs> yeah, yes, and loads is the answer. Um, as a so, I'm a Southampton fan. Um, so there's any number of Southampton players that I'd love to write about, but aren't considered famous enough. Um, but yeah, just just lots of lots and lots of different players. I'm trying to think of a particular. I mean, James. So James Ward Prowse, who just left us to go and play for West Ham, he would be. Um, one of my, if I got the if I got the choice, that would be a good one to do. Um, oh, all kinds of players. I mean, that's kind of why I ended up. So I've, I've written a series of book called Unbelievable Football, which is all about these incredible true football stories, but the ones that aren't so famous, that aren't the sort of superstars that because yeah, I love writing about famous footballers too. But there comes a point where you're like, you know, there are all these other amazing stories, but they just don't get told because the people involved aren't as famous. Um, so yeah, I like to be able to get those out into the world some way. And that was sort of how I ended up doing that. Um, 
Sorry, I'm trying to pick another name for you. Someone else that I'd love to write about, but haven't been able to. Who's got an amazing sort of story? No, I'm, my mind's currently blank. I'll, I'll come back to you on that one. Yeah, no worries. Uh, I just had a wee question. See, in terms of research, do you go to like websites like Google or other articles that have published about the person, or do you go straight to the person and their relatives? No, so sadly we don't. I mean, the easiest way would, pro and the most fun way, would be to contact the players, the families, that kind of thing. But um, that's not possible for for various reasons. So yeah, it is all about just doing the research ourselves, and uh, you know, using books, using magazines, newspapers. Those those are probably my favourite places to go, just because I trust the information more. And um, obviously, with Google, you know, there's a lot. <laughs> There's a lot of good stuff that um, that you can take away from it, but there's a lot of stuff that needs double, triple, quadruple checking before you start using it in a book. Um, podcasts is another one that I really love using. These days, there's a lot of great podcasts. So when I was writing the Andy Robertson book, for example, I used a lot of um, podcasts just because he'd done these incredible interviews with various people for these podcasts and they you know this was him telling his own life story it was like amazing material to use so um yeah just using lots of different places um but just being a bit careful with certain sources to make sure that they're they're trustworthy thank you very much we're now gonna have some extra questions from our s4 pupils lovely hi hello hey it's me again Ready for round two? I was going to say, I thought I'd seen you guys already. Yeah, hello. Um, I'll go first then. Um, if you could choose any player from any time period, who would be your ultimate football hero? Uh, I, I'd still go with Messi. Yeah. And my question is, have you ever met anyone that you've written about? Uh, no, well, no, so not on the, on the sort of ultimate football hero side of things. I met, so I met Beth Mead when I, when I wrote the book with her, but um, yeah, which was which is amazing, um, and she's lovely. But uh, no, none of the none of the ultimate football heroes. Thank you. Yeah, right, that's awesome. Is there anyone you'd like to meet? Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm just. I don't know if I'd want to meet the sort of top top. I don't know. I just worry that it would be a bit weird and not that fun to meet some of the the really like top top players. Um, who would I? quite like to me I think oh Bakaya Saka would be I, I just think he he just seems like the nicest guy and um, I'd like to meet him Jude Bellingham those they seem like good good guys thank you to our S4 pupils we're going to bring back looking Owen so Matt unfortunately we're running out of time and the final whistle is only a minute or so away so all that remains is to say a massive thank you so much for speaking with us here today no thanks for having me it's been fun it's been great great questions I've really, I've really had to, to think. I was <laughs> testing my, my brain. Is there anything else you'd like to add before the fans exit the stands? Not really. Um, yeah, thanks. And I hope you, yeah, people enjoy listening to me <laughs> and also reading the books. They're, they're probably better than me speaking, really. Um, but yeah, keep reading. And that's full time. Well played, Matt. You're a man of the match. <laughs> Thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. Not at all. Thanks for having me. I'm so impressed by all of you guys. What a great, great job. Very professional. Certainly more professional than me. <laughs> uh, could I take a wee moment of your time just before we stop today? Of course. 
It's just, I'm, a, I'm an English teacher here at Holy Cross and the fourth years that you met today, um, I taught them all the way back in S1 and your books were hot stuff and are still hot stuff. <laughs> they really are engaging. They are books that really draw in a particular age group, a stage and boys that were really looking for something good to read. So we're so, so incredibly grateful. Thank you. Keep doing what you're doing. Oh, thank you. My pleasure. No, I'm, uh, it's lovely to hear that they're being read and enjoyed. Um, that's, yeah, what they're, what they're there for, hopefully. So thanks for having me. Bye-bye. They think it's all over. Well, it is now. Sadly, we have come to the end of this episode of The Reading Cafe with our guest, Matt Oldfield. I especially loved the England versus Spain World Cup for the women's. That was what a game that was. Yeah, it was a very good game. Spain obviously dominated it. Mm, interesting concept. But Mary Earp's <laughs> save for the penalty was also amazing. They still lost. But they put in a really good battle all the way through and all movement towards women's football and the development and accessibility and viewing all of it has just skyrocketed in the last couple months and that's definitely something really positive so yes it is about who wins and who loses in essence but all knowledge and viewing towards the women's football is gladly received. At the end of each excitement filled end-to-end -end episode it's our goal to convince you to spread the word and leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, Audible, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any episodes and keep, keep reading! reading.